This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Friday night, the Maple Leafs uh, end their season end later than usual. You know, kind of later than usual. They won a round this year for the first time since 2004. But many important droughts still remain. They haven't won the President's Trophy, like the best record in the league, since 1962. That's longer than the actual Stanley Cup drought, since 62-63. They did win a postseason series, but they, they haven't been to the final in 54 years, and that's that's a record they hold by themselves. And they haven't won the final in 54 years. The Sabres have never won the Stanley Cup, and the Canucks have never won the Stanley Cup, and they came into the league in 1970-71. So they're still, um, you know, objects to achieve. Let me address their demise for a few minutes here. Uh, we're back around to this concept that ownership doesn't want to win. And if you know the ownership, it's it's the company of Rogers, right? Red Company, Blue Company, which is Bell, and Larry Tannenbaum. He's kind of a shade of uh, well, he was a shade of like pale white um, when the uh, when the the Florida Panthers scored in overtime on Friday night. Every Leafs playoff game, I'm told by somebody quite reliable, generates between six and a half and seven million dollars of revenue. Six and a half and seven. That's just net profit. So, so they got to open the lights and put it on and they'll get a, you know, they get an Enbridge bill. I'm sure like we do, that's probably bigger than ours, but yeah, six and a half or $7 million. That's tickets. That's not beer. That's not hot dogs. That's not parking. That's not everything. That's just game ticket revenue. That's what they lose. So the concept's been there for some time. Ownership doesn't want to win. The house is full already. And let me clarify for you here. They do want to win and badly. Badly. Why would you stack a front office? Why would you spend more on front office than anybody else? Scouting than anybody else? Infrastructure than anybody else? Why would you always spend money to the cap? The question is not like these sal. There's a salary cap in the NHL and they're at the top of it. In fact, they're uncomfortably banging their head against it when they get up in the morning. Okay. It's like a bunk bed. If you're on that lower bunk, Don't stand up right away. You'll hit your head on that top bunk, the bottom of it. Well, they hit their head on the salary cap every morning. They got like 13 players to sign and $7 million left. But I don't want to go X's and O's on players. I want to point out they're under no pressure to win. So they want to win badly, but they're under no pressure. Let me give you the best parallel I could give you here. You ever know kids that come from a rich family? A rich family. Not people that are doing well, not people that, uh, you know, may they scrape into a, I, like, I think a rich family, maybe people that the shared income, maybe it's, it's a quarter of a million dollars in, in Toronto. That's still like, that's something that's a, that's gotta be 5% that you're a 5%er if you're there. I'm not talking about those people because they still are going to have to pay 80 grand, hundred grand for four years of university. They've still got a mortgage. There are still car payments. There's still things they may live what you see as comfortably. I'm talking generational wealth. Like they take over mom and dad's business and they don't have to work. I'm talking the succession kids. So I don't doubt that the kids want their own stuff. This is the modern day Toronto Maple Leafs. Nobody wants to look like Donald Trump Jr. I mean, like literally, figuratively, any of that. But there is not that huge push to do so. And that's your modern-day Maple Leafs. They want to go out on their own, but they don't have to take risks. They don't have to feel the pressure to do it. Why? 
you're going back to the games next year. You're buying the merchandise. And if you're not, somebody else is. And if you don't want your tickets, somebody else will buy them from you. Probably for face value, maybe more. But what's left on the table by the Leafs not succeeding is a massive amount of money. A massive amount of money. Like six playoff rounds, one in two seasons, would be unthinkable bank for the Maple Leafs. Like a cup win or two final appearances back-to-back. They won six playoff rounds in four years from 99 to 2002 when they opened up the Air Canada Center. That was huge. But back then, things were a little different. They were generating about a million dollars in revenue per tickets per game. I just told you it's over six million dollars more. And they've only won two playoff rounds in 20 seasons now. So again, yeah, rich family, you know some rich families. I'm talking generational wealth. John McEnroe, the tennis player, once said, how can you get your kids motivated? And he's like, it's very difficult. And they're like, why? And he's like, they suffer from a disease. And the interviewer was like, oh, my gosh, I'm really sorry. Well, that seems strange because you've got like four kids and you married Patty Smythe, right? The warrior scandal, all that stuff. You're married to Tatum O'Neill. What do they suffer from? And he said, affluenza. It's a thing. And that's the Leafs. From all this inherited wealth from other owners and and whatnot, they really don't have to dig deep. They want to win. They don't know how, but they're under no pressure to do so. You keep going. I'm not telling you not to. Boycotts don't work in these kind of things. By the way, really quick, this gives you a sense of the affluenza that affects all that is blue and white. Mitch Marner, star forward after the game. Uh, Now, this is my advice to Mitch Marner. After the game, tough loss. I would just say, don't mention your contracts. Please don't remind people of what you, if you could do one thing in your, oh my gosh, you blew it. We all got years left on our contracts. I mean, no, I don't know. Uh, it's not up to us, but we got a lot of belief in this group. We got a lot of belief in that core and you know, it sucks right now, but we got belief. I asked you to do one thing and that's not to mention your contracts. Affluenza, blue and white disease. You've heard the terms before. They're very relevant. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're speaking to somebody right now who probably had to plan logistics. He never, as police chief, got to plan logistics for a Toronto Maple Leafs parade. But he did He did for the Toronto Raptors in 2019. Let's say that. Uh, Mark Saunders, former Toronto police chief and Toronto mayoral candidate in studio. I'm so curious about that. What's that? What, what happens from the second the Raptors win? They win game six in Golden State. What what do you have to do as a police chief in three days to plan for them? I think it was a Monday parade. They've won on yeah. Friday night, Thursday night, and then you got three days to get this all organized. What do you have to yeah. do? Yeah, you have to rely on, on great people to do the right things, and you have to make sure that you have plan A, B, and C in place and make it look as seamless as possible. You don't want to make it a security event. You want to make it a festival event. So the ability of scaling up when necessary and collapsing when necessary, it's key and critical. Every officer must be on. Nobody can take it. Nobody can be like, I got a dentist appointment that day. You can't take that day <laughs> off, right? You need everybody, all all men and women. Listen, everybody wanted to be there. So that, was, that wasn't a <laughs> hard time. It was hot. I remember yeah. it was hot and it took a long time. Yeah. And then um, by the time I got home, I did our morning show from Nathan Phillips Square that morning. But from the time I got home, then we had we had gunfire and your officers, to full credit, reacted very, very quickly to that and made a, a situation safe that could have, you know, word could have spread, escalated like that was that was a relief. You, you don't want any 
gunplay at all, but your officers responded and, and made it a scenario where everybody kind of calmed. Matt Devlin on stage, you remember, did a great job calming everybody down also, didn't he? Yeah, no, it, it worked out really well. And again, it speaks to training, it speaks to planning, and, and it speaks to execution of plan. So um, we'll talk so much. We got a, a range of issues to get through, but you're right. We we wanted to talk about Friday night and, and Young and Dundas Square. We've had parents of, of TMU students talk about Young Dundas Square and how it's deteriorated. I've heard from TMU professors say that. Um, again, I used to work in that area up uh, about a decade ago, and you never gave it a second thought. That square was lively. That square, I mentioned earlier to Sheba, they used to show like World Cup games. When the World Cup was in South Africa, you put a big screen up. Argentina's playing France. You got fans from both countries there. It just felt like a great meeting place for the city. It's changed. And the, the footage we saw of the two women fighting was really awful and ugly. But this this looks like it's more commonplace. How do you view how that square as sort of a microcosm of the city has changed? Well, listen, it speaks to why I'm running. I, I'm running because of that random crime, that disorder, and normalizing it. And that's exactly what we saw. We saw people walking by. Uh, we saw a lot of people just putting more effort into filming it than actually doing anything. So if we're going to turn our city around, we have to make sure that we have the right resources in place. And, and I, I put this on City Hall. We're turning a blind eye to that environment. Everyone has seen that it has decayed over uh, numerous years and putting the right resources there and being accountable for it. So those folks that are running for election, uh, they can take ownership for a good part of this. When secure, security guards, I don't know all the all the parameters and the job description and, and what everybody has a boss and that boss will say, do this, don't do that. People were asking me during the morning and over the weekend, can't security, security guards are watching this. Um, that's not, that seems to me, break up a fight. That's a security guard's top five job is stop violence. Am I not right about that? Well, no, this is City Hall putting window dressing on a bigger problem. If, if leadership was in place, what would have happened is we have those outward facing resources that would have been there to not even have this fight occur. When people are just left alone in, in, in that kind of environment, and then you have these altercations. Yes, then security should be doing what they need to do. But when you just window dress it by going, you know what, security is, uh, is there to look after these things, then, then we've got it wrong. We, we have to make sure that when we deal with disorder and when we deal with any type of crime, that we, we go to the root cause of these solutions and then we put the right resources in place. And, and I don't see that happening. Do we not have, I, I would think for, a, for any kind of evening in Young and Dundas Square, there's going to be an officer or two or four that are that are on the scene on a regular basis. The the news report said it took half an hour to get police there to Young and Dundas Square. And and again, you're emphasizing this is why you're running is is resources have have shifted. But to me, that just seems like an obvious um, that that's that's poor management of of police resources. Not to have somebody at that square all the time. We do a well, union station, and we do now at most of the TTC stops. Well, listen, I am not going to speak to uh, Chief Demke. That 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 is his and his to to make sure that the resources are there. But I, I've said it year after year that we can't arrest our way through these problems. We have to have the right resources in the right place. And and as mayor, you have access to all of the agencies that can take an active part in this to prevent things from happening. And then law enforcement actually doesn't have to have to uh, play in such uh, a large uh, bandwidth of all of the social issues. Uh, they are highly trained for those emergent calls, and, and, and that's what they do during the time. But having the right resources in play is key and critical, and knowing how to make that happen is even more critical in order to be successful. So you become chief in, in 2015, Mark. Did you start to see um, your ability to, to, not, to, to arrest 
or at least discipline when it was necessary. Did that start to get wrestled away from from your officers, the ability to stop something like that, the ability to be in the right place, right time from from 15 to 20? I know you went through about four months of the pandemic while still chief, but what did you spot? Well, a couple of things. When we talk about first, when I joined in 82, it was the Metropolitan Toronto Police Force. And then it shifted to the police service. And, and as time has escalated, what police are responsible for, it's not what you do, it's how you do what you do. And so social cost plays an equal value on, on actual enforcement. So you have to have to, an understanding of how to marry those two up, which means you have to be, uh, understand how to collaborate those two entities in order to define success. So I'm someone that's never had a bad experience with a with a police officer. Um, and so it's easy for me to say, if a police officer tells me to do something, I do it. If they say, jump, pull your car over here, tell me, answer me this question, jump, how high? But I, yeah. I, I think that, I don't know if that's a unique scenario. Do we have a lot of people that have had negative experiences or a family members had a negative experience and you know yourself in other cities um marginalized people racialized people feel that way about interaction with police as a mayor you're going to have these big issues you're going to work with chief demq potentially how do you sort of bridge those gaps because those gaps exist and you know that they do i know you've talked about them absolutely not that's to experience leadership um learning being in communities right across the city understanding what the fundamental problems are you know, when we talk about gun violence, and, and I've said this over and over again, nobody is born wanting to be a street gang member. It's environment and a lot of other circumstances and denial of certain things that, that turn people into that. So dealing with the root cause, first you have to understand it. And City Hall doesn't get that yet. And put mm-hmm. the right resources in place and have the right discussions and not listen to the loudest voice. And so that's what's brought us here. It's that listening to the loudest voice piece and turning your back to people who have been complaining for years about the disorder at Young and Dundas. So in order to get this right, you have to have proper leadership. And that involves listening to everybody and then prioritizing what you need to do to, 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 find, to define success. Mark Saunders is in studio with us, uh, the former chief of police for the city of Toronto. This is Toronto Today, of course, on 640 Toronto. Um, I asked you about it, so, and the people will wonder. Um, your polling is up. I know, you, I know the vote you care about is June 26th. But is there an encouragement? Do you look at internal numbers and like where you're at? Is there anywhere strategy-wise you go, I want to be stronger in this area. I want to be stronger on these issues. Where, where's your mindset on that? Oh, make no mistake. I want every single vote I can possibly get. So if everybody votes for me, it's a great day. But, but what I'm encouraged about is knocking at the door. When I knock at the door and I listen to people and they're basically telling me my platform, then I know I'm in the right direction. And, and so I'm going to continue with this journey. I've I, I, entered this race because I'm concerned about the city and the direction it's going in. And I believe the city wants effective leadership. And, and I believe I'm the person that has the strongest leadership components uh, to, uh, to navigate our city. And so the conversations at the door, um, are, are, what are they like? Are people, re- do they know who you are? You have facial recognition here. You do. do. People know who you are and they know yeah. who, you, who you were in an important role in the city. Absolutely. And, and, and they recognize me for being a former chief of police and it's a leadership uh, place. And, and I've made decisions that they've been happy with. Uh, the number one thing that I hear about right across the city, north, south, east and west, is getting that transit system uh, safe again. Uh, mm. People are concerned. Those that can afford will either uh, switch to Uber or driving themselves. And we have to identify that we have newcomers. They come here for the transit system. It is their lifeblood to get to and from work. 
And so we have to make it safe. We have to make it robust. And in order to do that, it takes the right plan. And, and, and I believe I have the right plan. It resonates with people. Well, I think that's that's not only new Canadians, but that's also people who want to send their kids to school here. The last thing they want to do is send their kids to school here on either unsafe, inefficient transit. The last thing they also want to do is is they're already paying so much for tuition and rent. They don't want to Spend yeah. ten grand on a on a on a used car for them to park downtown and then pay for that as well. Yeah, and 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 the number one thing that they talk about it's not random crime. People aren't running around with machetes. It's the disorder. It's the disorder that concerns because the disorder could lead to other things. So my plan yeah. speaks about dealing with all of that. But but overall, uh, in order to get it right, you really have to have a, a good sturdy plan in place that you can turn on relatively quickly. Your uh, there's a debate tonight. You're not attending. We're 40 day, 42 days out from the election. You did the BIA debate last week. Uh, why not go tonight? Uh, unfortunately, the schedule is packed, and uh, I've got an event that I, I can't miss, unfortunately. I would love to do that. But every third day, there's a debate. And so picking and choosing whether or not to go to a debate or knocking on doors, talking to people, having them understand my platform, um, that door knocking is key and critical to get those votes. But make no mistake, I will be doing debates. Do you know the next scheduled debate you would do? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I'm looking at today. It's action-packed. I'm blurring in my days of the week. The only yeah. time I can tell a weekend is when I see large people at a gathering during midday, then I know it's a weekend. Yeah, it's it's it, obviously with all the candidates. I mean, you've heard all the same stories. There's 102 yeah. people that registered um, to run for mayor. Um, there has to be a way to do this. I think you've you've gotten way past the threshold of going, well, if we're going to have the top five there in terms of polling, you're one of them. If we're going to have the top eight there. You're one of them. That at least is a benchmark. So you can go to these debates and see these other faces that you've been critical of and those that have been critical of you. You, you need to do that. You need that face time. We, we have a wide range of undecided, and, and I want to make sure that I can get through to them to have them understand what my platform is. And uh, I believe my platform is the best platform. And, and so let's see where it goes on June 26. Okay, more on the platform. Um, your name came up Friday. I know you're aware of this. The premier didn't mention you explicitly, but I want our audience, if they're just waking up or the, they've been up 10 minutes getting a coffee, I want them to hear what who, who he hopes the mayoral candidate, what that him or her has in terms of experience. We need someone that has experience uh, dealing with crime. I, I believe we need someone that... Uh, have, has actually run an operation uh, with with a number of employees that has the experience. We need someone in Toronto that knows all of Toronto, not a little ward. He's talking about you, right? Yeah, 38 years of public service and being an actual leader of the largest municipal agency in the country. Absolutely. So I know you can't control Doug Ford endorsing you, but do you feel endorsed by the Premier of Ontario? Well, here's how I feel. I've had a strong working relationship with, with the premier and I've had a strong working relationship with all leaders of the day when I was chief of police and I'll continue to do that. And if there's ever a time now where it resonates that if we don't have a healthy relationship with all levels of government, uh, city of Toronto is stuck. And so it's an advantage to have that working relationship instead of an ag antagonistic one. And, and I'll continue to pursue that, but make no mistake, I've raised my family here. I'm running to be the leader of this city. And all of my decisions are geared towards whatever the best interests are for the city of Toronto. Do you worry there could be, for people, you know what politics is like. You know what being in, in a public position is like. I do. There's no, nobody's behind you. A hundred out of a hundred people are never behind anybody for anything ever, ever again, probably. Yeah. So do you worry at all that an endorsement from Doug Ford could be seen all is a positive for people who like Doug Ford. Some people say, well, I don't like Doug Ford and what he's doing on health care. 
I'm not going to vote for somebody he endorses. Is there a balancing there that you can that concerns you at all? What concerns me is not getting that platform out. I believe I have a very strong platform. I believe it resonates with the entire city uh, from the doors that I'm knocking on. And so for me, it's my platform. And my platform identifies with where Toronto needs to go. We need to drive our economy. We need to do so many things. It starts with that public safety factor and then works its way into affordable housing and, of course, affordability. And I'm making sure I'm doing everything to get that message across. When the premier says that Friday, does your phone go off and people are saying, Mark, that's that's you. He's talking about you. He just described he may as well have described you physically or we need somebody who wears glasses whose last name (laughs) rhymes with bonders like he just he's talking about you. Surprisingly, I did not get a lot of calls. I I really did (laughs) not. I think everybody knows what muck I'm in right now, trying to climb through and get to that finish line. Mm -hmm. What would. You've talked about her as a candidate before, and she's leading the polls, and you need to catch her. What does what does a, a mayor Olivia Chow Toronto look like to you? Why does it concern you so much? It looks like a lot of tax. It looks like there are a lot of things are going to happen. And if we think that affordability is an issue now, uh, I, I think that it's going to be totally different. I, and, and the other piece, too, is... It speaks to that loudest voice in the room. We have to be balanced to move this city forward. We have to listen to all voices and then make those decisions that are critical for Toronto's future. And I just don't see that on on the platform. And I'm looking forward to that debate. What are the things that, that do you look at her and think this is just yesterday's politician or it's simply an economic issue? And you're like, it. this is a lot more spending and spending and spending. And as you know, there's no level of government that, that like there's no bottom line. There's nothing to hand off when you're the municipal government. You got to pay for stuff. You can't run a deficit. Well, first off, you have to have a relationship with all levels of government. And, and I haven't seen that historically or, or today. That's number one. Number two, when we talk about the plan and the cost of the plan and the direction of this going, that's huge. And then number three, the history itself, which is very anti-police. And, and, and that is not what we need right now. We need a healthy relationship to make our city safe so that businesses want to come here. If businesses don't come here, the city of Toronto will fail. And if Toronto fails, it will have huge impact on our country. I thought about you um with the the officer passing away in Ottawa, I thought about three men going to uh, three three officers going to a domestic disturbance, two in the morning, about fifty k outside of Toronto, and they're all shot. Um, we had a terrible situation in Caledon. I, I don't, as police chief, you may you know you may never have thought you'd see numbers like six Ontario officers dying attending calls in about a six month well a six month period and i'm counting the awful scenario with the tim hortons with the officer just sitting there eating lunch what's going on why is this happening it it breaks my heart um you know being involved in law enforcement for this long uh, a lot of the social discourse plays a key factor and i i think people in in political positions that have narratives of defund and things along those lines are encourageable to the wrong person we have to work collectively in order to make this right Law enforcement will do anything to save a life. Each and every day they go out there, they don't know what's on the other side of that door. And, and when we start creating negative rhetoric, it's not healthy. We have to make sure that our environment is healthy. These men and women put their lives on the line every day. And in order to, to make our community safe, we have to be more encourageable. And now granted, there's ownership. This is earned. And when I spoke earlier about that social uh, cost piece, yeah. the training has to be compatible with that as well. So there, there are two factors of this to get it right. But, but, but trust me, with the right training and with hiring the right people, we can move in the right direction but and we will. Even for law enforcement's future, are you worried every story like this will dissuade hundreds of people each time? hundreds of good men and women from saying, I know it's a risk. I know that I'll be placed in precarious positions with my own health and safety, 
but it's just happening too often. I'm going to do something else with my life. It's not a job. It's a calling. Uh, to serve people is a calling. And I've got to tell you, we've got a lot of good people in the city. That's the other part of the reason why I'm running for this. It's because we have great people in Toronto. Right. And I believe that we'll do anything uh, to look after other people that are in need of help. Um, there will be people that will be hired in law enforcement. That's, that's the way our world is. Um, DVP and the Gardner, people have asked your, um, your thoughts there. I know one of the candidates wants to um, sell this to the premier, who we just talked about, and say, you pay for it. What should we do? The DVP and Gardner are expensive things for the city of Toronto to maintain. That's oversimplifying. I mean, if it was that easy, then others would have done it sooner. And it doesn't work that way. There has to be something else added to that because other jurisdictions are going to say, well, me too. Uh, take over this. We are the seventh worst city in the world when it comes to gridlock. We have to move forward on having flow. The flow of traffic enhances safety and, and also brings in economy, and it's, it's the right thing to do. If we start working on these things right now where we're shutting things down, we're going to be worse. We have to move forward collectively and make sure that flow of traffic is good. So much more I wish we could get to, but we're out of time, and you've got a busy day ahead. So I thank you for coming in, and we'll certainly do it a couple more times before June 26th. It's great seeing you. Thank you so much. Mark Saunders joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. A new poll uh, that dropped, not because it was hot or anything, but it just dropped, has Mark Saunders second behind Olivia Chow. But Chow has padded her lead this is a uh, pretty reliable poll. We've been sort of rolling our eyes at some of the polls. I still, for forum research, um, Chow is up uh, three percentage points, up to thirty-six percent of decided and leaning respondents. If you get asked how you voted in Toronto, and then you come out of of that um, area where you voted, and you say, "Well, I lean this way," I'm going to assume that you voted this way. But there's a lean that uh, Olivia Chow is is succeeding on getting either commitments or leans more than the other candidates. There's no question about it. Six weeks until Election Day from today, as a matter of fact. Um, but Mark Saunders is in second at 11 or at rather 18 percent. And Josh Matlow with Mitzi Hunter at 10 percent. Matlow's dropped some points here. Now, I want to bring up something that got that happened on Friday. And there was a little bit of Friday recap here and there on the show, um, but there were so many big things that happened on Friday. And uh, Doug Ford, remember this, he said, I'm not going to weigh in on the Toronto mayoral uh, election. I'm not going to give an endorsement. I'm not going to get my paws all over it. And I'm thinking he he has never seen a Toronto uh, election that he doesn't want to get his paws all over. I suppose we could make the case he left last fall alone, but he sure didn't in 2018 when he cut the... The wards from 49 to 25, you could make a case that that needed to be done or that was more efficient, but not in the middle of the campaign. Not when signs are out, districts are drawn, people have put their names in. Um, But this is what he said in February, about a week after the uh, John Tory revelations and the John Tory resignation. He said this about staying out and he said this about the city of Toronto. My opinion, uh, it's not time to change. Everything's going tickety-boo in Toronto, working well with the federal and provincial government, and uh, what happens in their private life is strictly up to the mayor and their family. Bottom line, he wanted John Tory to stay. Um, You could read the tea leaves there, and he wanted John Tory. It's not time for change, and there was an element of him wanting John Tory to stay. Remember, he came out and said that. Christian Freeland, uh, who's obviously a liberal MP in the GTA, but also the finance minister and the deputy prime minister for the federal government, 
was kind of like implicated in the sense of she wanted Tori to stay. She came out and just never does this and did a scrum well somewhere else and said, I just want to make clear that that's not how I feel. Like that's an unusual moment. Usually, you know, you just run for the hills if you say something or something said about you. She's give her credit that day. She was accountable and said, no, no, that's not how I feel. Um, there, there should be a new mayor in essence. She didn't have to say that out loud. Now, Doug Ford weighed in on Friday on who the ideal candidate should be. He said he wouldn't endorse anybody, but I'm sorry, this is an endorsement, and everybody knows who he's talking about. We need someone that has experience uh, dealing with crime. I I believe we need someone that uh, has actually run an operation uh, with, with a number of employees that has the experience. We need someone in Toronto that knows all of Toronto, not a little ward. Okay. Seriously, like you can't make it any more crystal clear than that without saying, I think we need my friends, folks. I think we need a candidate whose name rhymes with Lark Maunders. That's that's the only thing that was missing on Friday. He's endorsing the former Toronto police chief who's with us at 730 this morning. And I'm sorry, that's what he said he wouldn't do. By the way, I don't have a problem with Ford endorsing him. I don't. I absolutely don't, because I'll tell you why it can work the other way. If you're not in Doug Ford's corner right now, if you're fired up about the green belt, if you're fired up about health care, if you're fired up about education, there's plenty of things to get fired out about uh, up about. Remember, I, I think there's nuance in so many. There's nuance in terms of where are we going with education? You know that I think there's nuance in, hey, we need a bit of a rethink and a reframe on health care, pouring money down a mine shaft. And doing the same thing over and over again in a country and a province where nobody on the planet does healthcare like we do. Nobody has the wait times that we do. Nobody has the inefficiencies. And many European countries don't have the executive fat that we do. There's something really rotten to the core about healthcare in this province. And I'm going to keep saying it. But bottom line, if you're not in Doug Ford's corner on this, could that hurt Mark Saunders? I'm throwing it out there that it might. Here's Brad Bradford, who's often been aligned with, you know, the premier, I think, and, and Brad Bradford have, um, I, I wouldn't say they have an adversarial relationship. I don't expect Doug Ford to start drilling it down on Brad Bradford. But I think Bradford's called out the premier here properly here on Saunders. Given the premier's track record of success, I'm surprised he doesn't see what 86% of frontline officers saw when they voted non-confidence in Chief Saunders for his failed track record of, as police chief. Okay, heavy stuff right there. There's there's Brad Bradford going in on Mark Saunders. That was February of 2018 that that happened. And the, the numbers speak for themselves. The Toronto Police Association members vote and a no-confidence vote on Mark Saunders. 14% voted in favor of the chief. Now, not everybody participated in the vote. That was a 47.3% turnout, if you will. Um, but you can't just walk away from that. You, the, the, you're allowed to say how you feel about those particular directions. One more on Josh Matlow, and this is the Josh Matlow. If he can get Doug Ford to talk about him and not Olivia Chow, that's a really good thing. The second Doug Ford starts la-la-la on Olivia Chow, that's a problem. Here's Matlow on Saunders. Mark Saunders may want to be the agent for Doug Ford in the mayor's office. My job will be to represent the people of Toronto and take a stand for our city. Okay. Fine. And and listen, Mark Saunders, to me, could very well be an innocent bystander in this process here. He might be like, oh, Premier. Oh, Doug. Oh, 
DF, don't, don't, don't do that. I want to, I, I want this on my own. Your endorsement may come at a later day, but I got all these other candidates chasing me down because you're putting me in your mouth. Keep my name out your mouth. That kind of scenario may be exactly what Mark Saunders is thinking. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I wanted to be a sports agent only for about two months, and it was the two months after I saw Jerry Maguire. I saw Jerry Maguire my last year of undergrad, and I remember the weekend really well because I had my LSAT. I only wrote the LSAT once. I think I did pretty decently on it. Like 82nd percentile, 81st percentile, but my marks weren't good enough. And I thought, let's 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 make life easy on myself and do radio instead, because that's stable. Um, and then uh, but I, I remember thinking, I want to be a sports agent. And were I a sports agent, were I Mitch Marner's agent, I would have said, listen, you might lose tonight, buddy. Best of luck. You might force game six, go back to Florida. Whatever you do after the game, don't talk about your contract and don't talk about how much money you make. And and I would have made a great sports agent because Mitch Mar- Marner did exactly that. Here's what he said. We all got years left on our contracts. I mean, oh, no, no, I no, know, uh, no. It's not up to us, but. We got a lot of belief in this group. We got a lot just, of belief it, in that core, and you know, it sucks right now. But we got belief. I know heat of the moment. I have to do seventeen and a half hours of live radio a week. I screw seven or eight things up daily. But don't talk about your contract and the ten point nine million dollar cap it. Uh, that he has next year, but he did it, and here we are. Um, so this is costly uh, to the Leafs. We'll talk about just how costly it is to the Leafs, to MLSC, which has some, uh, has some. Um, how would I put it, commodities that are not quite at the value they once were a few years ago. Adam Seaborn's been on with us before, sports media analyst for Playmaker, uh, and, uh, of course, Adam joins us right now. Um, you hear that Marner clip and you're like, probably the same. Jerry Maguire, Bob Sugar, they all would have given him the same message at him. Don't talk about money right now. We, we're, we're all devastated. Don't talk about the word contract. Yeah, it's funny, Greg, and, and good to talk to you. Yeah. It's funny how, uh, how contract narratives can really control how people perceive a player, perceive a team. You know, when McDavid signed that contract at Edmonton, he was praised for signing a $100 million contract because the perception was is that he he saved the team money, that he took a hometown discount. Flip side is that you have four players in Toronto that no one's very happy with any of their contracts right now. Well, it's um, without we won't don't go two X, X's nose on the players, but the Leafs, I think if you give it to the casual fan that might be listening, massive is it a massive decision or a no-brainer on Austin Matthews they'll offer him to the point where they can sign your own player for eight years a 14 million dollar a year contract for eight years taking him until he's 33 and a half years old or is there any element in the Leafs brass uh Adam where they're like let's wait this out they're exactly where with him where John Tavares and the New York Islanders were the year before Tavares spurned the Islanders and jumped to Toronto you know, I don't have any inside information, Greg. I, I'm not in the room, but I'll, I'll say that from what I've heard and people I talk to who are, you know, in, in the hockey scene, the insiders like a Frank Cervelli of the world or Elliot Freeman, it appears that everything's on the table. I mean, the reality is, is that with contracts with a John Tavares, you are stuck for a little while with Austin Matthews. You know, you do you want to see him walk and go to free agency? Maybe not. But um, I, I think you've essentially been running the same playbook for seven years now, the quote unquote Shanna plan. Uh, and the question is, is that it, is it still just one year away from being good enough? Or do you need to you know, tear things down and rebuild? Or do you need to try to rebuild on the fly? I don't think anyone's looking for a rebuild. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still a great team. They were phenomenal in the division. And there's a lot of money to be made by winning a lot of regular season games and packing the house. But you know, if there's not a major change, I have a hard time believing that opening night next year is going to be met with anything but maybe a, a, a boo or two. 
Adam Seaborn's our guest uh, from Playmaker. Uh, he's the head of partnerships at Playmaker Capital. You say that, and I agree with you, but I but I don't think there's a thing they could do to provide an empty seat for the home opener against Montreal, Ottawa. And this is where we go with especially NHL, NBA, to some extent, Major League Baseball teams. I think the NFL is different because it's a cheaper get-in price. Tickets aren't that expensive to go see the Buffalo Bills or the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're really expensive to see Leafs and Raptors games. But Adam... Would you say the Leafs are close to the most bulletproof sports franchise in North America for selling tickets, no matter what they do, no matter how good they are in the regular season? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day who put their name on the waiting list for the Toronto Maple Leafs, put their name on the list maybe 20 years ago. They wanted to get the season tickets, and they checked the list six or seven years ago, and they were number 3,386 <laughs> on the list, Greg. And then uh, they decided they'd follow up uh, just last week and see where they were on the list six years later. They were number 3,386. So they had not moved one <laughs> iota in six years on the season ticket waiting list. So listen, the, the reality is that every seat in that in that barn is a is a fully sold season ticket. What you're going to see is if the Leafs aren't competitive, they're not going to take a revenue hit, but they do take this perception hit. Mm-hmm. If you remember, you know, between kind of 2008 and 2012, when the team was bad, the, the Peter Horchuk years, you would get the, the platinum seat ghosts, right? You get the empty platinums for the entire third. doesn't mean that no one paid for those tickets. So, you know, a bunch of corporations pay for those tickets, but everyone who's supposed to be sitting in them is either down below in the luxury boxes or has already left to go to real sports or the next bar because there's no interest in watching the team. So, you know, does it hit the bottom line of MLSE? Frankly, it doesn't. It, it really doesn't. So there's not much you can do from that perspective. But there is a perception and an atmosphere, you know, that that does trickle down to the team. And I know it bothers management. I know that the, you know, from Brandon Shanahan all the way up to Larry Tannenbaum, it bothers them when that's the perception. Well, I think you nailed it because the concept, I've heard it for, from fans taking calls in Toronto since 2007, that ownership doesn't want to win. They really, really do. But Adam, they're not under the kind of pressure to do so that other franchises are. And those are two very different things. They want to, they wouldn't, they wouldn't stock the front office and pay huge contracts and have massive infrastructure, big scouting departments. All they wouldn't hire Mike Babcock for $50 million. They wouldn't do any of those things if they didn't want to win. But but they aren't about to have eleven thousand people show up, meaning tickets sold, like say sixteen other NHL teams would if they if they screwed up a bunch of years in a row. And they want to win, and and you're right, they're not under the same kind of pressure. The question is, is if they were under that kind of question, pressure, right? Mm-hmm. If all of a sudden millions of dollars of revenue disappeared, would it change the management's decision making? Would they be sharper? Would they be smarter? Would they win more? Hard to say. I mean, is there an example where you can go apples to apples and say, well, this team is under financial pressure and that's why they win? I don't know if you can really find that in sports. Most of these owners, you know, the the professional sports team, whether it's NHL, NBA or NFL team, it's a it's a play thing for you, right? It's a fun thing to do if you got a billion dollars. Yeah, I think about that. I mean, the comparison is always the New York Knicks and they're owned by a guy named James Dolan, who's kind of a in you know he's considered quite an insidious person by people within the sports and entertainment worlds and yet at the same time you don't think he wants another round where he can he can sell thousand dollar lower bowl seats for the Knicks to play the Boston Celtics next round of course he does he just doesn't know how to do it it seems like well and the NFL doesn't allow private equity groups to own teams for this exact reason Mm. right they want individual families or individual high net worth individuals to own teams because they believe that someone who is you know part of a private equity group is just going to be looking at the dollars and cents and won't care about winning they're just going to be like how can I milk the most money out of this and won't care about winning whereas they want you know personalities like Jerry Jones who 
couldn't care less about the money for the team. What they're about is about winning. And James Dolan's the same in the NBA who owns the Knicks. I mean, he is a lunatic. He doesn't need the money from the team. Uh, I think what you see with the LA Clippers as well, same thing. You have, you know, these kind of crazy people who are doing it for status and these are hyper competitive people. So I think to suggest that MLSE doesn't care about winning or the Leafs don't care about winning from a management standpoint is ridiculous. But are they under financial pressure? No chance. Um, the number I saw in 2001, what every playoff game was worth to them in 2001 was $1.5 million. Then I see in 2013 when they made it, it was estimated about four. I- I've heard it's not ridiculous to say every home game they lose is six and a half to seven million dollars. Like if they were playing next round, it, that that's just and that's just the tickets, Adam. That's not anything else that we've talked about previous beer, merch, any of that stuff. That's just tickets. It's seven million dollars down the drain for every game they don't play. Yeah, that that that's pretty much right on the head. I'd say from a from an estimation standpoint. So not only did you lose in the second round, it only went five games, right? So you, you didn't even mm-hmm. get a full series worth of it. But yeah, it's, it's lots of money down the drain when you think of it that way. Uh, but you're right. Like the impact on the team is one thing. I don't think anyone listening right now is saying boo-hoo for the billionaires that own MLSC. But think about all the businesses in downtown Toronto that see a huge pop in you know tourism, mm-hmm. hotels, bars, restaurants. Um, yeah, it's nice out. There's patio weather today, and it'll be patio weather hopefully for the foreseeable future. The Blue Jays are a big draw. It was rocking there on the weekend. So I think mm-hmm. downtown is kind of back and will be fine post-COVID. But the, the Leafs winning trickles down to the entirety of Ontario, the entirety of the country, to be honest. The excitement from the Leafs winning gets people excited in boardrooms in Toronto, yeah. which gets people excited about hockey, which gets money into the Flames and the Oilers and the Canucks. It really does trickle across the country. A lot of people don't realize that Toronto playing well and hockey being important in Toronto means that somewhere in a boardroom, you know, the CMO of... Canadian Tire wants to spend more money in hockey. Maybe they can't afford to be the Leafs building, but they'll be the Sens or they'll be the Canucks, or maybe they want to be part of an expansion bid in Quebec. Yeah, I think it's true trickle-down economics that works there. Adam Seaborn is head of partnerships with Playmaker Capital. I got about a minute, WNBA preseason game over the weekend. I think it was a novelty and, and a good novelty at that. I think novelties can be good, um, but the baseline is maybe this will work here. Maybe in the Coca-Cola Coliseum, maybe at 60 bucks a ticket. Um, there's only one WNBA team that averages over 7,000 for attendance, but, but I think Toronto can make this work if expectations are moderate to start. Yeah, so NBA, uh, WNBA played a preseason game, just to give people context. Minnesota Lynx, Chicago Sky. It was sold out down at Scotiabank, right? So a full barn, really good atmosphere. Everyone I talked to who was there, I unfortunately didn't make it, was saying that it was as rocking as you might see at a Raptors game. But the question is, is that's a one-off event? Could you actually sustain a team here? You know, WNBA actually uh, turned down MLSE back in their first expansion days. This would be like Mm mid-2000. Richard Petty was involved in MLSE. They came back to MLSE between then and now and asked if they were interested in MLSE. actually said no at the time. I think that was around 2008. Um, Would MLSE want to buy an expansion franchise? Perhaps, but there is the risk that you have with the Argos, where you 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 know you get the big excitement. Okay, we're owning the team. We're going to put a bunch of money into it. But if three years in, the team's not drawing very well, and it becomes kind of a you know the, the side piece or the you know kind of back burner you know portfolio piece for you, and then people start blaming you, and then you're left. What do you do with it? I mean, the Argos right now, I think MLSU would be happy to have someone else on the Argos, but they can't be the bad guys. And for them, it's just a rounding error on their on their Raptors and lease business. So WNBA, I think you're right. Coca Cola Coliseum, smaller venue. Yeah, I think it could really work here because it we do have the right demographic of people in Toronto. There's excitement about basketball. We are a kind of big event town, yeah. and I think the WNBA is turning into that.
Adam, love our chats. Thanks so much for this. Appreciate the time this morning. Yeah, take care, Greg. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News, Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh huh. <laughs> if you're new to the show, in or out, we give you an issue, and you text us and you say, "I'm in on this issue. I'm out on this issue." And our in out topic this morning is all about this. There's a big snake in the plane, Jacques. Oh, that's just my pet snake, Reggie. I hate snakes, Jacques. I hate them. By the way, show a little. Backbone, Please show a little backbone, Indiana Jones. <laughs> By the way, the Indiana Jones trailer looks awesome, and I'm in, and yeah. I'm going. <laughs> I don't, Shiva. I don't think it's going to be the Top Gun Maverick of the summer. No, and Her- and 76 year old Harrison Ford isn't 60 year old Tom Cruise. Oh goodness, he's 76. Wow. Yeah, but some of the de aging techniques they said is going to is a game changer. De aging. I'm sorry, techniques. he's 80. No, no, he's, but they're Harrison having Ford's flashbacks. Oh they're having goodness. flashbacks to a different time when he was. Oh, so they're going to give him a little more hair on his head. They're going to give him some Botox. No, it's all computerized. Well, I mean, digitally. Yeah, yeah. digitally. Yeah. By the way, props to him. I know it's his third marriage, but um, third <laughs> time's the charm. Him and Callista Flockhart. Like, that was Still a big deal. Yeah. Ali McBeal, that was a yeah. big show. Yes. And he's been with Ali McBeal for a long, long time. This is a feature in and out, too. It's like, why is he so dialed in as Indiana Jones? <laughs> but when he's on a talk show, he looks like he's out to lunch. Like I he think, looks like he's anywhere but in the moment. I think he, uh, I think he does that a little. I could do an in out on Harrison. I could talk about Harrison. <laughs> okay, no, Ford but our in out is not on Harrison Ford. Oh, it's Why don't shame. you explain what it's about? Well, there was a a story um, about an assault on on Toronto streets, right on uh, on Friday night. Now, I, I really, I didn't, I didn't watch the footage, and I can't. But you've seen it, and basically, a man used a snake to attack a victim on a Toronto street. The snake has subsequently passed away. I don't understand why, but a man was walking down the street holding a live snake and approached a victim with it. And so there's a variety of charges. That's putting it bluntly. A 45-year-old Toronto man's been charged with assault with a weapon and causing unnecessary pain or suffering to an animal. Yeah, so this is actually on Wednesday evening right before midnight in Little Italy. And it's um, two men, and it's... It's chaos, this video. So they get they run into the middle of the street and then one guy's holding something. You're like, what is he holding? What kind of a weapon is that? It is a giant python that he starts flinging at the guy like a baseball bat almost again and again over and over. And the guy's ducking and he's trying to get his shots in. And it's crazy. <sighs> it is a nightmare. And then you see this police car pull up. Uh, this SUV and the the cop, two cops get out and he, I guess he starts screaming, get on the ground, get on the ground. So the guy flings the python, lands on the street, in the middle of the street, on the tracks, like the go, the, the go train, the, um, the streetcar, the streetcar tracks. And I'm look. we're all looking at the snake and it's, it's not moving. It's just lying there. And then that's when the video ends and turns out the, the, ple- the snake did not make it. It did die. Uh, but this is not, TPS has not confirmed that because the case is now before the courts. It was a city representative that told the Toronto Star this, that the snake had died. But can you imagine being I, attacked by a python? Shiba, like <laughs> I, there's nothing. I've told you guys this. You guys compared <laughs> spiders yeah. to snakes. Yeah. Your 
bonkers to even suggest they they elicit the same level of fear in the average human I don't being. Know. Like a tarantula being thrown at you versus a python. Yeah. No problem. No, I would. I no would, problem. I would shriek. None like a whatsoever. Girl, a shark. No yeah. problem. An alligator. No problem. Really. These these. I, I don't know what it's been like. Like even I was given a Bible to read when I was like a five uh. or six year old. Adam and Eve. Yep. Next thing you know, this thing—they're in this garden. Oh my There's goodness! There's not a lot of clothes on. They're meant to—they're okay. meant to create the whole human race. Uh, the, by, listen, a guy got swallowed by a whale and then popped out like 15 days later, and like, hey, I'm okay, everybody. Like, there's yeah. some myth, mythological stories there. But this idea that the snake is like starts talk—I don't know where my lifelong, absolute panic paranoia of snakes comes from, but it's real and it's valid and it's this story. I wouldn't. Look, I, I think I have a lot to live for. If I was, if I had a python thrown on me Friday night, I don't know how I'd explain to my family. Look, I don't know mentally, guys. I'd never kids, leave my house again. I'm wife. done. Right. I'm, I'm done. I'm never. If someone threw a python at me, I, and this video is so brutal, it's so violent, and the guy doesn't even run away. If someone pulled out a snake, I'm done. I'm out. Take my children. I don't care. I'm out. <laughs> like, but this guy kept trying to fight back. Despite the fact that the other guy's holding a snake. So he's been charged with a weapon because obviously this, the python was a weapon that was used. Uh, I am also, I'm out on snakes. Absolutely out on snakes. And I did, it's legal to own snakes in Ontario as long as they're non-venomous. Oh, do we expect to hear from anybody who's really in on snakes? Like if you said to me, hey... Have the there's always somebody called like a snake lady and she goes around to schools. I mean, I think yeah. she actually was calling herself that. I'm not being demeaning to her. Yeah. She'd bring snakes into schools and I'd be like, I'm sitting at the back. Don't bring that thing near me. I'm not touching it. If other people want to put it around their neck, great. But I'd be the one. You've never had one around your neck. Never. Oh, oh my goodness. I've and I won't let anybody. I love I love you too. I would not. Really? I would. Dave Bradley kind of also. Oh I goodness. would not let a snake go near any of you. I would stop that process from taking Bradley place too. You throw dave in there for my son my eldest first birthday we had a reptilia birthday party oh no yeah, he had a snake around his neck i did too i did it i, I, I didn't I, touch it they just put it around me and then it peed on our carpet i remember that i didn't know that snakes wow. did that i guess i guess yeah. clearly there's some bodily transactions happening there yeah. are you in or out on snakes and i wonder if people will make the distinction between the like like a poisonous one and not yeah. i had a friend of mine he lived on saint george's street in in london and i worked with him but he had three roommates another one is the another guy i worked with at the restaurant bar i worked with called, called joe cools but they had a roommate named sean and he had a python and he had, or a boa constrictor in a glass case and it was in his room and his room had weird lighting and um i just i hated I, going over there you're yes. i'd ask before i stepped in i'm like snake in the in the in the aquarium Brutal. snake in the aquariums i just don't want it to be sitting there the when women... i'm coming over to watch an nfl game yeah, i get and it it comes up from under the cushions yeah i have I a friend can't, I'd never forget that i have a friend who fell in love with and subsequently <laughs> married a guy who collects snakes and then his snake would they would put it in the bathtub when it was shedding skin. Sheba, and it, it I would just, just slither around the bathtub and this uh, whole long snake skin would be left in the bathtub. Just my How do of, you make that relationship? It's one thing to they're it's still one thing to shave your they're legs in there. Still together. It's one thing and to leave daughter, a little bit of soap in the like toothpaste stains, those congealed. His daughter's now a TikTok huge star because she uses a snake in all of her videos. So 
There you go. I, I and I, I wish this snake was still alive. Don't get me wrong. I, I'd love to hear from a vet. Is that what would happen if you throw a snake onto pavement? Does do the bones? I just think it just slithers off. Then doesn't no it? Bones. <laughs> so, Whatever. Oh, it I just has. have to read this text. Okay, somebody wrote in in and out. Okay. <laughs> Definitely out on snakes. My ex was a snake. That's not. <laughs> that's not a thing. I think there's a photo of um. I think it's Nastasia Kinski. I was going to say it was Brooke Shields, who's like. Naked, but she's wrapped in a snake, and it's like yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. Well, That's it's a metaphor. Sexy. That's like Britney Spears. Yeah, Britney Spears, yeah. Oh when my she god, came out on stage I couldn't even snake. watch that. Thank oh, you that for was very me sexy. That. that was very sexy. That was not that. It's a metaphor, Brady. Nope. It's a metaphor. We'll just rename the segment "sexy or unsexy," and it'll involve <laughs> snakes all the time.